0: Welcome to another episode of the Solar Podcast. Today, David is talking with Jeff Eisenberg. Jeff is a partner at Ecosystem Integrity Fund, an impact venture capital with a mission to fund companies that help save the environment. They talk about the mission of impact investing and how it works, how solar power democratizes electricity, and how to navigate investing in such a highly regulated industry. Let's get right into it on the Solar Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Solar Podcast. I'm Dave Anderson, your host, and I'm very happy to have Jeff Eisenberg, who is um, a long-term friend, but also um, someone that I would consider somewhat of a mentor. He is a partner at Ecosystem Integrity Fund, which is an investment firm based out of the San Francisco Bay Area, uh, but they do strategic investments in impact companies around the country. And we're really thrilled to have Jeff on the call with us today.
0: Well, thanks, Dave. It's a pleasure to be on the on the podcast. I'm a huge fan of yours uh, and and Complete Solar, and uh, you guys have been doing amazing work for a
1: really long time. So uh, it's it's an honor to be here. Maybe if you can talk a little bit about yourself, the Jeff Eisenberg origin story, and how you ended up in the Bay. Yeah,
0: sure, happy to. So uh, I'm actually originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, grew up in a little town called Newton, right outside. A uh, big Red Sox fan and a Patriots fan. I hope that that doesn't uh, make me any enemies on your on your podcast here. I know they're not always the favorite teams in the world, but um, yeah, I, you know, went to college in New England and got out and went into traditional finance. Um, so I was working at a, a you know big mainline investment consulting firm, and while I was there, um, you know, I had one of those call it epiphany moments that I think a lot of people have in their early twenties when I, I realized, you know, I, I had skills in the financial realm, but I wanted to use my skills to, to do something better for the world. Um, and specifically focused on climate change uh, and sustainability. Uh, it, it was, it, it was always a passion of mine, but I recognized, I think at the age of like 25, um, that I should try blending the two things together, you know, a passion for sustainability in the environment, um, and climate change with, uh, with my investment skill set. So uh, that set me off on a, a lifelong journey, I guess. Um, and I think the biggest next step there was when I met um, a guy named Jamie Everett, um, who, Dave, you know, um, when I was about 27 years old, um, I met this guy who talked about investing and in sustainability the way that um, I wish I, you know, had come up with, I wish I had thought of. Um, and he, he had clearly been thinking about it and working on it for a very long time. Um and I think we met once, and and I, you know, I asked him if I could go work for him uh, on his research team at a, a boutique investment bank out in San Francisco, uh, and that was in 2008, uh, which was a great time to start a new investment job in the world, uh, if you know your your history of financial markets. <laughs> um, and so, and then uh, our our third partner at EIF, uh, Dem Watley, joined uh, later that year in 2008. So the three of us have been working together on sustainability focused investments for 15 years now. Um, and there aren't a lot of people who've been working together for 15 years, you know, Dave, maybe you and Will, uh, are are getting up there in, in years like that. But, um, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an amazing ride. I, my wife and I drove out to California in 2011, uh, in our car with whatever we could pack in there and we couch surfed for a month and, um, you know, somehow made it work. And yeah, we've been doing uh, the ecosystem integrity fund in San Francisco now for 12 years. Um,
1: You know, we we spun it out of that investment bank. So it's been a, it's been a heck of a journey. Yeah. You you mentioned Jamie. Jamie has, uh, he possesses a rare form of altruism that I think is pretty unique, um, particularly in, in the investment circles. I didn't realize that you and Jamie worked together before Devin, who is the other Managing partner over at EIF, um, actually even yeah, joined.
0: not for for much for very long. I mean, it was maybe nine months, but uh, I think I I was Jamie's first hire, and I've basically been working for him uh, my entire career. And you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think that that sense of altruism is something that is uh, common with everyone at our firm, and frankly, when we hire people, it's it's something we look for is is a commitment to this mission. Um, and I know it's a, a mission that you guys share, which is. A focus on trying to do something to stem climate change uh, and fix the damage that we've we've done to the planet, and I think everyone comes to that from a slightly different place. But at the end of the day, you know we've got one home, um, we were charged with taking care of it, and we're not doing a great job right now. So I think we all wake up uh, in the morning just with an internal drive to do something about it, and this just happens to be the area where um, where we have some skills where we can put to work, and that's our mission.
1: Yeah. And I think uh, one of the things that's interesting about what um, EIF and what Complete Solar and what others do, but specifically talking about EIF as an impact investor, you have to go out and convince people to spend money or to invest their dollars into companies that are going to make a meaningful impact. But there has to be some sense that there's going to be a return. You can talk a little bit about what unique challenges impact investors have and maybe some of the benefits that you have as well as when you go out to raise, and I'm talking pretty significant dollars to to help in some instances fledgling companies, but in other instances more established companies to really further their cause to make an impact. And and you've talked about some of those things, but maybe you can go a little bit more into what it really means to be an impact investor and and why that's a critical thing right now in the world today.
0: Um, it's an interesting question, um, and it's a it's a tough one to answer because it's such a broad category. You know there's there are impact investment funds and impact investment, you know, focused vehicles that are focused on things like um, medical technologies or educational technologies or um, financial inclusion um, or DEI. And, you know, they, they each um, talk about the change that they're trying to affect in the world, their theory of change, in the way we talk about wanting to, you know, fix environmental problems, but they're talking about trying to fix other problems. And I think, you know, at, it, at its core, impact investing... Um, focuses on on trying to solve a, a problem that is beyond financial part of impact investing is not just the impact it is the investing part right so to your point, part of um, getting in we call them limited partners or institutional investors to entrust us with their financial assets for long periods of time, you know they need to be convinced that we're not just focused on the impact but also on the financial side on the investing side and so we came to this game with a commitment to being um, just as committed to being excellent investors uh, as to having impact or, or making you know meaningful contributions to sustainability, I, you know I think that we and this really comes a lot from from Jamie's thinking that the two kind of have to be intertwined. The the impact and the investment side, in order for there to be um, real large scale systems wide change, you can't just Set out to have impact. You need to set out to have financial returns um, and, and above market financial returns because that essentially gets the rest of the financial world involved. Just us impact investors probably can't have meaningful economy wide impacts, but if we show other investors that actually there are outside returns to be had here, then they you know they will come to our space and they will start investing in uh, in these types of technologies. and And I think you guys have seen that. Um, at your company, you know, where it started out with, with sustainability, clean tech, climate focused investors like us. And now you have just traditional private equity firms, um, looking to back your company. And I think that's, that's a big component to the, the impact investing world is making sure that you're an excellent investor, um, so that you can have impact at scale. Cause it's like anything else, you know, we can't, we can't do anything ourselves. Um, it relies on great entrepreneurs like you guys, but then other investors, they have to believe in, in, um, you know, in the companies that we're backing. And then there have to be later stage investors that may not be in impact investors, but also um, start to see what we see and start to see the attraction from a pure financial standpoint and investing in the kind of companies that we're investing in. So I, I think that that's, it's it's part of building an ecosystem. Uh, it's part of changing hearts and minds around what makes sense from an investment standpoint. I think that we have also in the the sort of climate, environmental sustainability space, we have greatly benefited from some macro trends that have been happening over the past 10 years, and, and you know these as well as anyone did, where the cost of, let's just say solar, um, has come down tremendously. And so solar is now the cheapest way to produce electricity, full stop. It's cheaper than natural gas, it's cheaper than coal. And if you know you look at the 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 investments in energy development over the past five years, every year renewables end up being the type of energy, um, energy production, new energy production that garners the majority of the dollars. Like institutional investors are investing in solar and they're investing in wind because it's cheaper. It makes more economic sense. And so, and I think part of the, the impact um, that we've tried to have and others have tried to have is bringing the cost down of these environmentally sustainable technologies so that they just become the smart thing to do. Now, you don't have to actually be an impact investor to invest in solar now. You just have to want to make a good return. Um, and so, you know, I think impact investors, in in many cases, they're sort of the they're the first push um, on trying to get stones rolling downhill. Um, and I think, you know, the the core thread that ties all impact investors together is this this larger mission, this larger outcome that you're trying to affect, um, in addition to excellent financial returns.
1: Yeah, and I, I, there's a lot of things we can talk about there, but one of the things that um, is top of mind as you were sort of going through the impact that an early stage impact investor has is you actually bring a lot of institutional money into the space as well later on, later stage, um, you know, institutional investors. And those can be, you know, in the case of like Complete Solar, someone like a Carlyle or someone like a Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, some of these really large private equity companies. But the other part of it is it brings entrepreneurs into the space as well. And so I would say that, and I don't know what the percentages are, I would hate to venture a guess, but While there are some people that are certainly in the solar space just for pure altruism, the majority of them are in the solar space because they're seeing the tides change in terms of how we generate and how we use and produce and and consume electricity and are being opportunistic, I would say. Not impactful in any way other than just to say, I want to build a a strong, sustainable business. Um, And there's been a lot of, um, particularly at the federal level, Um, Even at the world level, there's been a lot of tailwinds that have pushed renewables. Um, But then at the local level, and we've talked a lot about this on the Solar Podcast, there's been a lot of, at the local level, and even at the federal level at times, uh, conflict uh, and bureau- bureaucracy and red tape and things that have to jump through. But I, I think one of the things that you talked about there, which is is fantastic, is, is, is the blend between as an impact investor. And again, when we're talking about ecosystem integrity fund, maybe you can go in a little bit more into the specifics of your mission. But when we're talking about the impact that you're trying to make, it's on the environmental side of things. And there's lots of different types of, of impact investors. And for people that have Large amounts of money and uh, want to certainly make a return on that money, but also to have the biggest impact. Um, what they're finding is is that they can actually go and invest their dollars and cents with a firm like Ecosystem Integrity Fund that is responsibly placing those dollars, growing segments, um, but um, uh, and and maybe having a bigger impact. That way, than they could if they were to just give their money through charities, for example. Um, the, the net impact is much larger through these institutional investors. I I, um,
0: I have heard the joke that um, giving a grant uh, is just a guaranteed zero percent return, right? Like, there's that's it. You give it away. It's done. It's gone. At least if you you know you invest in an impact investment fund. Um, there's a chance that not only will you get that money back and you can reinvest it in in other missions, but maybe you'll make even more. And so you'll have more money to put towards uh, towards your your goals, your philanthropic goals. But I think, you know, it's important. I think, I think that's how it, a lot of impact investing started was sort of um, someone saying, hey, could we do something more than just give this money away? Just, just um, you know, invest in philanthropy. Um Maybe we can make it work a couple of times if the money comes back to us. But then, um, you know, I think people started seeing this, you know, frankly, the incredible scaling capacity of capitalism, um, the incredible scaling capacity of uh, private enterprise. And um, don't get me wrong, governments, philanthropy, they have a really important role to play. They're quite catalytic. But scale usually comes from... um, you know, from private companies and, and, and from, um, you know, capitalist enterprise. And, you know, I think it's important for us to recognize that it, it's there's three legs of the stool here, right? You know, if we want to affect change in the world and, and again, we're focused on environmental sustainability, um, it takes all three, right? It, it takes government. You need to have government support. You need to have government funding, early stage technologies, and you need to have government investing in infrastructure. You know, we need huge transmission lines to be able to move all this renewable energy around the country. Um, and then you need philanthropy, uh, kind of doing the same thing um, in some ways, creasing the skid and laying the tracks and doing the research and and uh, providing really important information about where we should be putting money to work, what problems we need to worry about, what the environmental damages are that that need to need to be fixed. Um, but then once we all can kind of agree on like what needs to get fixed, what needs to get done, um, private capital, you know, uh, private companies, they have shown the greatest capacity for for scaling quickly. Um, and so I think that recognition from the investor community and, and from entrepreneurs, getting back to your point of like really smart people getting into the space, I think that has fundamentally changed at least environmental investing or sustainability-focused investing, where it, it had felt 20 years ago a little bit like um, you know like a, a matured version of philanthropy uh, of environmental philanthropy and environmental NGOism, but um, it has really grown into its own enterprise in a lot of ways, like. The solar industry is its own fifty billion dollar industry. You know, in the United States, there's uh, you know half a million people directly touching solar panels uh, every day, and a couple million people as part of the sort of solar industry um, and, and around that and the around the distributed energy industry. It's big business. Um, and to your point, that then attracts great entrepreneurs, super smart people, super driven people. Um, they come in. I think that all of them believe in the need to do something about climate change, um, and the need to do something about the energy system. I think I find very few people in, in our space, and maybe you you talk to more than I do, but I find very few who are like, nah, I don't believe in climate change. I'm just here for the money." Um, most of them say, "Hey, you know, I want to do something. I have skills. I have abilities. Like, I'm really good at uh, business development, or I'm a really good CFO. I'm a really good CEO." Um, and now I want to put that to work in, in solar. Uh, and I want to do that because I kind of want to do something that's not bad for the world. I'd like to help, but this is a really rapidly growing industry. I mean, if you had to pick, if you were a really smart energy, uh, executive, would you want to be an executive in the coal industry or the solar and wind industry? You know, it's like, this is where the growth, is, right? So that I think has a really positive effect where it attracts, it attracts the best and brightest. And then that has this, you know, Multiplying effect where, um, where it attracts then really more capital and better capital, and the whole thing starts scaling. And we're really seeing, I think, the benefit of that now. I mean, uh, last year, it was something like over 80% of the, the new energy installations were renewables. This is globally. In the United States, I think it was like 75%. So you start thinking about that, and it's like, over time, you know, it won't happen overnight. For the next 20, 30 years, um, a majority probably of the of the power produced on the grid is going to be from renewable resources.
1: Yeah, without a doubt. In fact, we're, we're talking about almost a billion people on the earth that don't have power at all. And so certainly renewables and solar and microgrids and local generation are going to be the keys to getting those nearly one billion people energy that don't have energy today. And talk about a big impact, I mean, imagine all of our lives if we didn't have lights, if we didn't have electricity, if we didn't have energy. And, um, you know, if you if you want to talk about making a huge impact, um, I would say that energy is a pretty big deal in all of our lives, something that we generally take for granted, but for a billion or nearly a billion people on the Earth's globe, they don't enjoy the benefits of, of, of electricity. And it goes to one of the things that gets talked a lot about in the solar podcast is if we were to do it over again, knowing what we know now, we probably wouldn't build the grid the way the way the way that we have. And so it's because you have had this very established um, and mostly protected monopolies that have controlled those grids for so long. It's been really slow and difficult to make changes there. And, uh, you know, but for. The emerging markets the markets that don't have energy um, obviously we're not going to go build huge macro grids and with huge generation we're, we're, we're talking about local renewable micro grids where the consumers are also the producers of energy and with one of the most abundant resources the Sun uh, and doing it in a much more responsible way um, and from a from a climate change perspective than we've ever done it before and that is encouraging um, but um, it also speaks to some of the problems that we've, we have that we fight against. Yeah, it's
0: a funny thing. It's like, you know, you go to a lot of um, foreign countries, especially emerging markets, and you know, no one's got a landline in their house, right? Um, they just went straight to cell phones. Uh, they, you know, we call it leapfrogging, right? Um, so they just they leapfrogged over that bad technology. And um, we actually, we invested in a great company. Uh, it's called Energicity. And this is what they do. They go out to townships in Western Africa that don't have electricity. And um, basically, they sign everyone up. And they install a mini grid for 100 people, 1,000 people. And it's a ground-mount solar system with battery backup. Uh, they run poles and lines. And these people do not. And it has a lot of interesting effects. And so first of all, you give people electricity who have never had it before. And entrepreneurship just blossoms, right? Like these people start their own companies. You have fishermen who now can run a freezer or refrigerator. And so you know, they can, they can um, not have half their, their product spoil you know, while they're trying to get it to market. Um, you, you know, people can keep milk for a couple of days. It's just, it does amazing things for health and for the economy, uh, and for people's resilience, you know, their ability to withstand like weather shocks or, um, you know, bad luck, sicknesses, illnesses, like electricity has this, this huge enabling, um, capacity. The other thing it, is, it, is it, it democratizes power and it gives power back to, um, local townships and local people in a way that, you know we didn't have the benefit of, uh, and so now in many ways we are beholden to large utilities, um, large independent system operators, grid operators, and and FERC, um, you know, a national um, uh, basically regulatory body over, over all the utilities, and it's usually bureaucratic, and it's tough to get anything done, and it's tough to adopt new technologies, whereas you go to Western Africa, and these people want, they want power, they want it from solar, they sign up, very quickly, they have it. And they don't have to pay bribes to the local government. It's not like the hometown of the president gets electricity before everyone else and he punishes his political enemies by not running the grid out to their townships. It is just, it is a, a cleaner, more democratized um, way of providing people with which with something that is a, a sort of like fundamental resource, something that, that you kind of need to, to flourish. And I would say that... Um, that is going to probably be a real benefit to them uh, over the next hundred years, right? It'll be a, an economic uh, advantage that they have over us. Their system is modular. They can upgrade it when they need to. I think that they also will be much more conscious of when they, when they buy energy using a uh, piece of equipment, they'll be efficient, right? And so they'll be using less electricity for sort of every dollar of GDP produced. And so they won't, you know, their, their economy won't be as dependent on so much electricity and that's an economic competitive advantage that, that these markets are going to have that we don't because you know, they should be able to leapfrog over us. And, and we're super proud of, of the work that Energicity is doing there. Um, it's just it's amazing to hear the stories about what happens to people in these townships when, you know, when they get electricity for the first time. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think it's one of the biggest things that we can do uh, as investors and, and sort of as a planet is, is help uh, people without electricity Uh, leapfrog over the mistakes that we made and go straight to a a democratized, um, decentralized renewable mini-grid.
1: One of the things that the solar industry in the United States has struggled with is there's a lot of regulatory risk. And if you don't believe me, just go look at most of the solar stocks and you'll see them all move together, step function gains, step function losses. Um, across the segment, um, when some random guy from West Virginia opens his mouth and says something, or some other senator, or someone that's part of an en- energy commission, and 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 <laughs> yeah. so you see you, you see these huge fluctuations, which it's really difficult to run a business when when you're always just kind of waiting to see what some some guy might say. How do you think about that? And and you're obviously affected that because you're you're in the solar space. You 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 guys think more broadly than just solar, but um, how as as impact investors, specifically in the environmental space, do you guys navigate the regulatory issues and um, you know, and sometimes you're kind of betting on an election when you're making an investment. How do you, Jeff and and Ecosystem Integrity Fund, navigate through that? I think it'd be fascinating for listeners to kind of here, um, uh, you know, maybe even some some anecdotes or examples of, of of how you've had to very specifically take into account some of those large macro well,
0: things. You know, the first thing I would say is every industry is regulated, right? So essentially, any investment takes on regulatory risk. Um, and it's interesting. We've seen that, like as as um, electric mobility has kind of come into the money and become a better place to invest. Um, you know, if you think the energy space is highly regulated go try to start a car company or or you know invest in a new vehicle it's it's um you're gonna face this wherever you go traditional energy faces huge uh, environmental regulation and subsidy risk and and try investing in you know medical technologies or new drug discovery I mean it is everything's highly regulated so you do take on that risk um, wherever you go and I would say what we look for and this should be true for anyone investing in any industry is is businesses that are not dependent upon any regulatory um, you know, incentive or anything like that, but it can serve as a tailwind, right? Um, and so you know, look at like you guys complete. Um, you guys have focused on creating a super efficient platform and model that you know, if the solar subsidies went away, you guys wouldn't just survive. You probably could outcompete. You probably, your, your competitive advantage would be around just being a lower price provider as opposed to maybe some other bigger players in the industry whose advantage is sourcing tax equity or you know structured finance. And so, you know, it, it, when it comes to certain types of incentives, we, in some ways we might be better off with them going away because they're so complex. Um, I What I worry more about, and, and this is something that's happening right now, is a bit more insidious, um, and it happens mostly at the state and local level, where, and this is happening in California right now, um, where utilities get together with certain um, you know, other political groups, in some cases environmental NGOs, and they're trying to make it very difficult to put solar on your roof. Um, just, they just kind of put a bullseye on on residential solar. And you know, I think that um, those fights come up, and we have to fight them back, uh, and it's never going to end. And I think that's the, the realization, is that in some ways you have become a real industry when people are always trying to take you down, um, when they're always trying to hinder you, it means that you're stepping on someone's toes and you're you're taking someone else's lunch at this point. Now, you know the I think in a lot of cases, traditional, old line, lousy, you know, utilities that are not run well uh, look at distributed renewable energy as a huge threat because they've they've had this sort of protected place and they haven't had to worry about it. And so now they're they're going after uh, distributed renewables. Um, in you know closed door meetings behind closed doors and and um, trying to bend the ear of regulators and just make it harder. And so you know one of the things that we do is we try to stay up to date on that, understand uh, what markets are you know friendly, what markets are unfriendly, hear when that's happening, flow that information to our portfolio companies, give them the information so that they can be nimble, and they can manage their business as well. The other thing we do, and I'll, I'll put in a plug. Um, we support a group called Vote Solar. Uh, it's a nonprofit. And what Vote Solar does is anytime there is a, a local regulatory um, attack on solar or EVs or wind, they go in there with, you know, lawyers and reams of information on, you know, data, and math, on like why it would be a bad idea to kill residential solar. And they make the case to the regulator and they, you know, uh, get uh, writers at, at newspapers to write articles about it and they have an incredible win record of of fighting back these like closed door behind the scenes attempts to to take solar out of the knees and so we need more groups like that um, we need to support groups like like vote solar um, but this is you know i think solar has gotten big enough now it's gotten serious enough the economics um, of solar are better than other forms of energy that we should just expect continued attacks. Um, and that's just, that's the way it is. Um, it doesn't mean that, uh, that the industry won't contribute, sorry, continue to grow really rapidly. Um, you know, we're seeing great growth in your business and other businesses in the, you know, in the renewable space and in the EV space and others, but it just means that you need to be prepared to fight. Um, and I think, We might have been, I I think, not us in particular, but like the environmental space might have been a bit naive about, you know, you just make an argument and it's the right argument. Everyone will agree with you and the road will be smooth, right? That's not the way it works. You're You're trying to remake the energy industry. There are people who are going to be unhappy about it who are going to try to fight you. But again, I come back to the original statement I made, which is every industry is highly regulated. And if you back good companies, you back competitive companies, you back... Uh, nimble, smart entrepreneurs um, in businesses that are fundamentally good economics, and, and you'll find a way to win.
1: Yeah, for the most part, the particularly in the solar industry, you've got thousands of smaller entrepreneurs that are running businesses that are trying to provide energy to homeowners in a way dramatically different than the incumbent. And so the incumbent um, is used to being well connected to the public utility commissions. And um, in fact, all of their economics rely on working through the public utility commissions. And so they already have um, a pretty a, a stronghold or a very strong position with these utility commissions. And so um, I don't think entrepreneurs in the solar space, while there is regulatory risk in any industry, I don't think they fully understood that there's oftentimes you're fighting a battle on two fronts, which is, I think, a, a little bit, which is different than a lot of entrepreneurs uh, are, are used to, you know, and we have actually supported other organizations. I'm glad you mentioned both solar. So I actually am part of their mailing list at a minimum, but I, we also share a lot of their fantastic content with our base and with our all of our partners and then more broadly with uh Customers and then just generally on social media because I, I think that they are a really fair organization that talk about solar um, in a fair way. It's not even I mean they 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 don't really I mean other than they're they're founded by a group of people that believe strongly in solar. It's not like they have any huge financial gain by by promoting solar and the benefits of it. We've also had recently on the solar podcast, a couple members of Flossia. And, you know, Vote Solar was very uh, involved in trying to fight against NEM 3.0, which is policy that would make California solar the largest solar market, um, now being rivaled by Texas, but the largest solar market essentially be cut at a minimum in half, if not more significantly, uh, almost overnight by, you know, one stroke of a pen on, on a policy. And Flossia uh, fought very aggressively against a similar type of a policy in Florida and ultimately were um, largely, not, I, I wouldn't say largely responsible, but had a big impact on, on, on fighting against a similar policy in Florida that has allowed Florida uh, to become another huge solar market um, or to continue to be a, another huge solar market. So these sorts of organizations exist across the country. And I think being involved in those is an important thing, but something that entrepreneurs might not be used to. And while there is regulation in all industries, I think that there are others. You know, there are some re- industries, and I would, I would say that that solar and renewables generally are ones where you have to, at a minimum, be aware of, if not fully involved with understanding you know what the the politicians are are talking about, um, both at the local level as well as the, at, at the national level. If you want to make sure to keep a leg up, or or at least uh, you know do things to be proactive about protecting your business,
0: it's a good point. And, and I, it goes back to again this sort of like distributed, democratized entrepreneurial nature of solar specifically and renewables in general, which is. if you you look at traditional energy generation and utilities, it's very consolidated. These are big companies and they have lobbying arms, right? Like these are companies that pull in tens of billions of dollars a year. They spend a hundred million dollars a year on lobbying and, and they use that money to keep things the way they are and to bend the ear of the PUC and, you know, try to make their business as successful as possible. And solar is a bunch of small companies and it's a bunch, to your point, they're entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs Day to day are not focused on policy. They're not focused on lobbying. They're focusing on like making their customer happy and and making their business work. And I think that that um, renewable still as an industry is pretty uh, immature and maybe a little naive about the need to band together uh, and to play bigger. Um, we just like solar and wind kind of play small right now. We don't we don't play big. And I, I you know I think. Solar and wind get a a somewhat fair shake, um, at least at the national level, because we're in 50 states and we have economic benefits and and provide jobs in all 50 states. And so it's one of the few things that like red senators and blue senators can agree on. Um, But man, we are just getting our clock cleaned in terms of lobbying organization and lobbying dollars. And, And I think you're absolutely right. I think businesses in these spaces are on notice that they need to start.
1: They need to start playing a little bigger. They need to start you know, playing like the big boys. Yeah. And uh, I will say one of the things that's allowed certain smaller companies to play a little bigger is there's been a fair bit of investment that's happened within solar as well. And Ecosystem Integrity Fund obviously is a is a, a, an investor in Complete Solar. In fact, uh, invested on a couple of different um, instances, a smaller round, and then has been uh, a fantastic ongoing support for Complete Solar. Um, as we've had to kind of sort of go through the solar coaster, uh, as a company. Um, and so I might want to just, if I could shift over a little bit to ecosystem integrity fund, I think it's in what we've already talked about, but if I might, I'll just share the mission that's actually listed on your website. And then I wanted to hopefully allow you to talk about, cause I think a lot of people, I don't want to take anything for granted, uh, venture capital is, and how to get venture capital for a business, um, can be a little bit of an enigma, I think, for a lot of small companies that might be looking to figure out, how can I build an investable business? And I think it'd be great for you to help our listeners understand what that is. But I love the way that you talk about your mission on Ecosystem Integrity Fund's website, uh, which is EIF.VC. And so I'm just going to share it directly from the website if I can. It basically, not it basically, it says, uh, to use private capital to accelerate accelerate the transition to sustainability, resulting in healthier planet, healthier communities, and a stronger and strong economic growth. And I like this part of it where it says EIF seeks to demonstrate that there is no trade-off between having positive impact and achieving outstanding financial returns. So, um, um, and it continues on a little bit, and I think the website is great. I I would encourage all of our listeners to go to EIF.VC and you can uh, look at some of the different investments uh, that EIF has made, as well as just to understand uh, the business um, in its entirety. You can also look at some of the portfolio companies. There's links to the portfolio companies on there, Complete Solar is obviously, on there as well. Um, But maybe if you could just help our our listeners understand first what VC is or venture capital is, and then um, from EIF's perspective, what makes uh, a company investable?
0: That's a really good question. So venture capital, uh, at its simplest form, an owner of capital, uh, we call them limited partners, or this could be an insurance company, it could be a college endowment, it could be a wealthy family or individual, um, an owner of capital. They invest in a fund, a venture capital fund. And that is generally a 10-year partnership where essentially the owner of the capital, the investor, the limited partner, hands the money to the, to the venture capital fund for 10 years uh, with the expectation that the venture capital fund will invest that money in generally early stage companies uh, that will grow quickly. And then the venture capital fund will be able to sell its stake through what we call an exit or a liquidity event. You can think of that as an IPO or a merger or acquisition. And they will sell it for more than what they paid for it originally for those shares. Uh, and they will return that capital to the to the LP, to the investor. Um, and the hope is they're returning three times, four times, five times what the investor gave them uh, originally. And so that investor has now made a, a handsome investment in return on the money that they put into that venture capital fund. That's kind of the deal between the the LPs and the, the funds. They invest in our fund. We put that money to work with the expectation that we give them back a multiple of what they gave us uh, in in several years. And then so what do we do? How do we do that job, right? At its simplest form, uh, our job is to find companies that we think are are going to grow quickly. And with the addition of our capital and our our service on the board or our advice or help will be able to grow even faster, um, will be able to outcompete other competitors in the space, and will be exitable at some point, meaning they will be an attractive acquisition target for a strategic, or they will be a, uh, an attractive IPO candidate that public markets will want to own the shares in that company. And so that sounds very simple, but, you know, there's a 90% <laughs> of, of startups fail. So you're starting out with the, the deck stacked against you to begin with, uh, and then, you know, the vast vast majority of the 10% that survive don't produce huge outcomes they don't ipo you know, they they don't get acquired for 500 million dollars and so you are trying to through various you know different skills abilities research thoughtfulness networks you're trying to beat the odds there you're trying to invest in the companies that that will grow quickly that will matter to the industry and will matter enough to either get bought for a handsome price or or go public because the public markets will want to own those shares. And and that's that's sort of it at its core. You know, in terms of, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, the first thing I would say is think long and hard about whether or not venture capital is the right kind of capital for you (laughs) and your company. There's a guy named Rob Day who's who is like a godfather of climate clean tech investing and and he jokes that um, venture capital is the most expensive money you can take without fear of having your kneecaps broken. (laughs) And, you know, it's a joke, but like take away from it the point that, you know, venture capitalists invest in a a company with the expectation that they're going to make, you know, 40% annual return. So that's a lot. That means your company not only has to be set up to grow really quickly, but one of the big enabling factors to unlock that growth is that venture capital. And also, it's really the only place you can get that kind of money. Or, or money with those kind of no strings attached, right? There are some companies that should be just debt financed, right? They should be able to go to their local bank, get a line of credit, borrow money. Um, there are other companies you can do SBA loans. Other folks should just try to bootstrap it and get to cash flow positive and grow it from cash flow. But there are those companies where they have a big opportunity, and they can they can seize that opportunity, get out in front quickly, get big quickly by taking venture capital, you know, a slug of money all at once that you can, you can use for five years, 10 years, right? You don't have to, you don't have to start paying back interest on it. You can just, you can do what you, what you need to do with it. If you're an entrepreneur, that's the first question I would ask is like, is venture capital the right kind of money? Um, And then in terms of attracting venture capital, if it's really the right way to go, it is a dark art. I, I will say it is not, it's not linear. It's not logical. Um, From the entrepreneur's point of view, I I can definitely understand that. A lot of it has to do with um, knowing a lot of venture capital investors. Think about it from our point of view. We look at a couple thousand companies a year and we invest in six, right? So it's like an Ivy League college acceptance rate. And just like as more companies come into the market, we don't change the number of investments we make. Our acceptance rate keeps going down. So the chances that you're going to get money from EIF are minuscule. So you need to be talking to 100 EIS, or 100 venture capital funds, to have a chance that, you know, if, if one of them has a 1% acceptance rate, that you'll be able to get convince one of them to invest in your in your company. Um, a lot of it has to do with timing, right? You have to catch the venture capital fund at the time that they're interested in investing the, in the kind of company that you have, the stage that you're at. And so it's super inefficient, but a lot of it has to do with sort of staying in front of and staying on the mind of a lot of venture capitalists, having your story known, having it out there, um, so that a lot of people are looking at the opportunity to invest in your company. You know, Something else I would say is that um, it really helps to have a, a network that's rooting for you, to have a lot of people other than just people on your own team who want you to be successful. And they can do a lot of good work on your behalf. They can say good things to venture capitalists or other investors for you. Um, in a way that you just don't have the time to do as an entrepreneur. So I would say, you know, make sure that you, where it makes sense, where you can, you are telling people your story. You're telling them why your company matters. You're telling them your vision. They can sense the passion. They can sense the commitment on your part. And um, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at the sort of knock on effects that can have of having people out there rooting for you and telling your story on your behalf. And then, the most important thing you can do is build a good company, right? At the end of the day, if you're going to attract venture capital, someone like me is going to come and they're going to look at your business. You know, they're going to look at the financials. They're going to look at the, you know, the gross margins and the growth rate and the quality of the management team. And it doesn't take much to get us to say no, obviously. I mean, we, that's what we do is we say no most of the time. So uh, you know, I would, I would say focusing on building a good, solid, strong business is the most important thing. Um... And then you have to handle the communications part of making sure your story is out there, your message is out there. And, and you're talking to a lot of different potential investors. And then the, the, the part no one likes to talk about is luck. You know, <laughs> at a certain level, you're just gonna have to get lucky. Um, and, and and hopefully if your company should attract venture capital, you are able to, but you're, you're able to attract it from the right partner. Um, and I would say, you know. It's not just the Venture Fund doing diligence on you and making sure you're the right investment. You want to make sure that you do your diligence on the on the Venture Fund and make sure that they're the right partner for you and your company.
1: I I don't talk a lot about this. That luck component actually does matter. So um, not a lot of people necessarily know about this because it's the company that never was. But uh, Will, the other founder of Complete Solar and myself, uh, we started a business in 2006. Uh, 2007 really is when it launched and invested, uh, or we 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 had institution, or not institutional investors, but we had investors that were part of that business, and it was called Risk Allocation Systems. And I still, to this day, believe it was a fantastic company, a great team, and uh, we had great execution, great momentum. Uh, but it just so happened to be uh, a financial service. And in 2007 and 2008, we just got crushed. And so uh, we were a specialty finance company. And you know, who could have anticipated? Well, maybe some people did anticipate, but we, uh, as young as we were, and our investors certainly didn't either anticipate that the, the, credit melt, uh, the, the credit meltdown would happen the way that it did in 2007, 2008. So we became victims of, of, of that, and uh, along with many other small companies, and, and, and a lot of investors lost money, obviously, uh, during that period of time. So, yeah, I think luck is a component. The, the, the only other thing that I would maybe add if if you're a company or an entrepreneur, th- speaking about it from the entrepreneur side, there's a term that gets thrown around a lot. And I don't think it's a by any means a, a dictionary definitional term, but dumb money and smart money. I will say one of the things that's a, a great advantage to working with a venture capital Firm, depending on the firm, is is that there you 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 do really benefit from working with smart people. So I will say, Complete Solar, from our perspective, we've worked with Ecosystem Integrity Fund now for for several years, and they sit um, they they've had a board seat with the company, two board seats with the company at times, and they are strategic partners of ours. And because they make other investments that are oftentimes complementary with Complete Solar, we've been able to. Uh, leverage those relationships and partnerships and just general know-how. So it's a little bit more than just a financial relationship where they give us money and then we try to give them a return. Obviously, they have a vested interest in the business to, to help us with our success. And it just so happens that they're also really smart guys and are a really smart team, I should say, that uh, have been really supportive of the business in ways outside of just the financial. Um, and so um, venture capital can be, with the right partner, um, a really strategic benefit from a management perspective and so i will say that complete solar we've been huge beneficiaries of ecosystem integrity fund being partners of ours Um, so one other thing to consider as an entrepreneur if you are fortunate enough to have suitors on the venture capital side um, who you work with matters a lot, and, and we're thrilled to work with Ecosystem Integrity Fund for those reasons. Yeah, just speaking about that from an entrepreneur's side of uh, of it. Uh, I've gotten to know Jeff really well, not just because it's always been pleasant, but we've also had hard conversations, and Ecosystem Integrity Fund is uh, the type of management team that will ask hard questions of their entrepreneurs and push us to make sure that we're managing um, the business and being good fiduciaries of the money that they've entrusted us with. And, and so I think that that's, it's not just a matter of like strategic partnerships and it's always sunshine and daisies. There's, there's been a lot of hard conversations that have, that have, that have happened between Ecosystem Integrity Fund and the management team at Complete Solar, and I think that that is actually the sign of a of a, of a really good investor, uh, someone that cares and is part of the business and 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 is asking questions to help and to challenge us to make sure that we're we're running the business in a way that's going to scale and grow. And um, there's been times where we've had to make decisions as a business, and Ecosystem Integrity Fund has been there to help us understand how do we not only do what's best for the investors in the business and the shareholders of the business, but also grow a good business. And and so we've, we've really valued the partnership in that regard as well. Yeah,
0: thanks, Dave. Uh, you know, I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you saying that. And the feeling is mutual. I think um, this can be a, you know, running a company, it, it, it looks like it can be a lonely business sometimes. You guys have a very tough job. Um, you have to make hard decisions. And uh, we just hope that we can make it a little bit easier and, and be partners, make it a little less lonely and bring to bear, you know, any information we get from the work that we do out um, in the solar industry through other, through other companies. But at the end of the day, it, you know, a lot of it's about trust. You are incredibly trustworthy. Um, and that, in many cases, makes all the difference. It's a lot easier to go through hard times with, with uh, management team entrepreneurs who, who, you know, are honest and, you know, share your... Know, your vision, your outcome, your mission, and, and you can trust. You can you can get through a lot if you have that as a foundation. And we're we're really happy to have that with you.
1: Yeah, thanks for that as well. Um, I just want to touch on really quickly as well, and you can see all this, it's published on the Ecosystem Integrity Fund website, the EIF.vc website, but you're also measuring the environmental impact that the business is making. And I, I would imagine that when you set out to first of all. Uh, provide a a responsible return to your LPs, your limited partners, your investors. Um, And then with the promise that you were going to make an impact on the environment, uh, it must feel fairly rewarding to be able to publish these numbers on the website, knowing that the things that you're doing are making a a pretty big difference. And I would tell you one thing, I I take uh, exception with only one thing on this page, which is it says based on the estimated 21 year lifespan of a solar panel. I would say that the guaranteed life of a panel right now is more like 25 or 30 years, but the functional or usable life of a solar panel is much larger. So you're maybe understating in some instances actually the impact that you are making, the environmental impacts based on the investment dollars that you've put to work.
0: <laughs> that's a that's a very good point, and uh, I will talk to my team about uh, about updating that. Yeah, it's um, listen, it's it's also a very tricky business, right? Like trying to measure the impact that Completes having and you know EIF is having through its investment in Complete. and um Who takes credit for what? I would say at the end of the day, we're all, we're all rowing in the right direction, right We're all trying to make a positive difference uh, in the way we produce energy and the way that we we you know manage our lives and 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 take care of the planet. Um, and we you know, on the one hand, we're very proud of the work that we've done. we're incredibly proud of of our portfolio companies. Um, I mean, you guys are the real heroes, you're the ones who are really doing the work and you know, complete is no exception you, know, you guys on a, on a daily monthly weekly basis you're having incredible impact with the, the the panels you're putting on people's roof and making those systems keep working and keep producing clean energy but I think and you guys feel this too um, we have so far to go there's so much work to do um, you know it, you, you read the news every day and it it just brings home how hard of a fight this is going to be and how much work we have ahead of us I think that the you know the good news is at least we all know what we're going to be doing for the next 30 40 years while we still have you know useful working life left in us um, this is a this is a battle that's not going away um, it's not something we're going to fix overnight and it's going to take all of us rowing in the same direction for as long as we can as hard as we can um, and uh, we're, we're super happy and proud to be in the same boat with you guys with you and will and complete and, and the other companies in our portfolio
1: Well, I think, you know, we feel the exact same way as well. So thank you so much, Jeff, for jumping on the podcast with us today. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk with you as it always is. I find everything that you say to be very um, inspiring and thought provoking. Uh, And that being said, for all of the listeners, I would actually encourage you to go out. You can actually follow Jeff on LinkedIn and on Twitter as well. We'll share his socials so you can go out and follow him, but also uh, you can follow EIF and their socials as well they post a lot of great content not only about their portfolio companies but just generally about trends And for small entrepreneurs or businesses that wanna see uh, and follow trends both on the policy side but also just trends within business, uh, Ecosystem Integrity Fund has been one of the real real darlings of the industry. Uh, There's been a lot of really fantastic press about Ecosystem Integrity Fund and the investments and the types of investments that they're making. Uh, They've gained a lot of notoriety appropriately and and it's all earned. Uh, Their reputation has become very strong. Uh, within the financial markets, but also just in the impact markets as well, um, any parting words for our listeners?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, keep fighting. you know uh, if you're listening to the solar podcast, you're probably interested in solar this is this is the future of energy. Um, there is no alternative i mean this is this is where it's at. so if you're entering the industry, be excited about it. If you're already here, keep fighting and uh,
1: and it's going to be exciting days ahead. Yeah, let's fight the good fight. I, I think that's I think that's a that's a great way to think about it. Let's, let's continue to fight the good fight. Jeff, it's, it, you're, you're a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge. It's fantastic to have you, on, have you on. We'll definitely want to bring you back on again. Um, uh, our listeners are going to absolutely love everything you had to say here. Again, I've already mentioned it before, but please go follow Jeff on uh, Twitter as well as on LinkedIn. You can also follow EIF on LinkedIn or through their website uh, where they post lots of information about their portfolio companies. If you wanna if you want to keep your ear to the track, so to speak, about what's going on with investable businesses in the renewable space and how to make a big impact, Ecosystem Integrity Fund is one of the greatest sources of information for that. So I would really encourage you to follow them and 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 watch what they're doing as well as their portfolio companies. So thank you so much again, Jeff, for coming on. Thank
0: you, on. Dave. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Solar Podcast please don't forget to rate, review, and share us with your colleagues and friends who are passionate about solar, renewable energy, and the future of the environment. We'll talk to you soon.